0: Good afternoon, friends.
1: Well, hello. Howdy.
0: Um. How is everyone?
1: Oh, I'm fine. Doing good. It's like another week. Another. I don't know. Just ready for nice weather to be back. I'm tired of the cold.
0: Mm, it's dreary here today and yesterday and the day before that.
1: Yeah, same here. But. Supposedly it's going to be 59 on on Sunday and Monday or something. So it'll be like summer. I'm excited. I'm Andrew? Uh,
2: I was just like 59 is summer to you. That's what I'm still trying to wrap my head around. I'm pretty sure it's like 55 here right now. And that's cold for me. <laughs> yeah. It's going to be like in the 70s this weekend. I was or- just
1: telling my fiance like, It's funny because uh, there's days when it's like 45 degrees. And if you come into a day from summer into the 45s, then you're like, man, it's so cold. And then going from like the 20s or whatever, when it snowed recently, then getting into a day where it's 45 degrees out, you're like, wow, it's nice out. (laughs) It's like funny how relative it ends up being.
2: The 20s?
1: Yeah, it's it gets fairly, we, like, I don't know, it's the Midwest, so we end up getting, like, hot summers and cold winters, and it's just terrible, wrecks havoc on the roads and everything. It's kind of, like, the worst of both worlds.
2: <laughs> uh, Nate, Nate showed me a picture earlier, and I was like, wait, is there snow on the ground? I was, like, trying to figure out whether I needed a wetsuit to go surfing earlier.
1: <laughs> yeah. Snow, snow, snow. I would rather not have any um, most of the time, but there's like once in a while. Maybe I'd rather just go visit snow. That, that's how it should be.
2: Yeah. It is also pretty dreary here, though. But, you know, it, it'll it be here before we know it. And then all of a sudden we'll be like, it's too hot. It's way too hot. Where's Where's winter? And then we will repeat the cycle.
1: Yeah, I hear you. So what? Uh, what's new with you this week? Any new interesting projects or anything going on? Uh, this week, I was
2: uncharacteristically a little slow. Uh, it's kind of funny. So I I think I've mentioned this before. I have ADHD, and I have a prescription for ADHD medication. And my doctor retired. And in true characteristic fashion, I procrastinated finding a new one, then did find a new one, and then overslept the appointment also in very characteristic fashion. And I ran out of medication and it's been like a week. so this week, I have been just dragging heel. but on Monday, I have a follow or I have another appointment to hopefully, get this situation sorted out because I feel like a slug stuck in (laughs) Play-Doh. Oh, man.
0: That's tough. I was actually telling Chris before we started, I, as of yesterday, tested for ADHD and started medication yesterday, and my world is rocked right now. Well, yeah, rub it in my
2: face, Jason. That's fine. (laughs) Uh,
0: How long have you been on medicine for it?
2: I have been on medicine. So I found out I had ADHD pretty much freshman year of college. I didn't even really know what it was prior to that. And I didn't get medicated until junior year of college, probably late junior year. So it's been about two years. And the change in life quality in those two years is just kind of insane.
0: Hmm. I'm pretty, I've never thought of myself as ADHD, but, uh, like, I did the test yesterday, and she was like, you're kind of high on the ADD part. Um, like, not high. You're, like, you know, like, teetering right above normal. And, like, it was, like, out of, I can't remember what it was out of, maybe 19 or 16. It was, like, 25 for the hyperactivity part. So, I was like, oh, okay. I guess it makes sense. I mean, it's a test, and I, I guess I passed it, so.
2: Yeah, uh, so. Flying colors. <laughs> Funny enough, when I took that test, so there's, I think there's more than one test because when I scheduled with this new doctor, they're like, oh, you're going to need to take another test and it's different. And I was like, that's freaking fantastic. I love wasting my time at one o'clock in the afternoon. Thank you so much for this gift. But <laughs> other than that, when I took the first test with my original doctor, uh, it was a test where basically they flashed things on a screen and you hit the space bar when a certain character sh- showed up or something like that. And I did it completely opposite, completely opposite of what it was supposed to be. Like I hit the space bar every time, like the opposite of what I I just did the opposite of what I was supposed to do. And they got my test results and they called me and they were like, um, your com your test com- results are completely invalid like what the hell did you do and I told them and they were like yeah you did the opposite of what you were supposed to do and they're like okay so here's the deal like you come in and we're gonna get you a prescription immediately because obviously <laughs> something is something's going on up there and like and then we'll test you again later um, but yeah okay. so I've been on it for two two-ish years and it's it's I can function without it 100%. I don't take it on the weekends usually, but if I don't take it, and I told my doctor this, I think, one time because at one point I wanted to get off of it uh, because I was having side effects, but the side effects go away, Jason, if you are experiencing those. They definitely go away with time, but I I wanted to get off of it for a little bit, and they were like, all right, well, just don't take it for a week and then see how you feel, and they're like, there's no there's no side effects to not taking it. It gets out of your blood in like, I don't know a day, something like that. And I came back like the next month and I was like, it was awful. I was like, I, th- there are 100% side effects, to not taking it. And my doctor was like, uh, uh, no, there's not. They're like, have you considered that's actually just how you feel without it? Damn. And I, I was like, Oh Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah i i uh i was skeptical i guess i still am but like i'm following the little like onboarding process to it and like yesterday i took it uh twice it like divided up and i just like rolled through the whole day like somebody's like hey can i get a code review i was like yeah just like rolled through it um usually I'd be like, yeah, let's like talk through it. Like explain it to me. And like, I just understood everything. Um, So yeah, we'll see. We'll see what happens. It also brought down my anxiety some yesterday, which was nice. That was also, they gave it to me uh,
2: because I told them I had like, I said, like I'm not anxious whatsoever, but I've had issues with depressive thoughts in the past. And they said that, Taking the Vivance would basically act as like a mood stabilizer because I would take Vivance. I don't think I remember I don't think I said that I don't take Adderall, I take Vivance, but they were like, "Uh, well, this should act as a mood stabilizer for you." Uh and it definitely does. And the reason they gave me Vivance is Adderall is because this is a fun fact and not really a decoding at all, but Adderall can pass through the blood brain barrier and Vivance cannot. Um and because of that, Adderall is much more susceptible to being uh, used in a, I don't know, what, what's it called, in a improper way, I guess. Like, you can, you can snort it and things like that. You can't snort viviance because it won't pass through the blood-brain barrier. So there's literally actually, like, no benefit to snorting it. If anything, you get less of a dose. And I have a streak of addictive behavior 100% in my life mm-hmm. and impulsivity. And they were like, this is what you are going to take. And it has worked out amazing for me. And I need that shit back so I can start acting like a start acting normal again.
0: Mm. Yeah. It's fascinating. Um, I have pretty bad obsessive compulsive. Uh, I'm a lot better about like things having to be organized, but I do like, I worry about a lot of things and then I obsess about those things and it's really bad and like yesterday it kind of calmed that for me uh so we'll see we'll see what happens uh the first 10 minutes of this got real real quick <laughs> uh so ruby I'm trying to Language. think yes uh anybody do anything cool in ruby this week
1: i had finally upgraded go rails to 27 in production and actually to rails 6 as well. It's not been on oh, rails 6 for a long time. I was like are. I don't remember why I didn't upgrade, but I think it was like uh, yeah, I don't remember now. There was some reason why I didn't do it and then just like don't really have many features or anything to add to ha- uh, to go rails, you know? And so I just left it and then I, the other day I was like I guess I should upgrade that and Probably it was me just procrastinating on other things where I was like, oh, hey, I can do this instead, you know, instead of the hard thing I should be working on. So nothing, you know, too eye-opening on that. It was actually a really seamless little upgrade. But and the, um, until Rails 6, uh, I I hope that the next, like, patch version of Rails 6 comes with some improvements to all those deprecation warnings and things. But I was literally about to ask about that cuz that's that is, insane. That is awful. Like and I I did what people said like go and add that ruby ops env environment variable and like you know dep- like hide the deprecation warnings. But then like if you switch ruby versions that uh, flag doesn't work for other ruby versions. So Like, you can't just have that always in your, like, Bash RC file. So, because I did that, and then I switched to a different app that was, like, on an older Ruby. And then, like, all of my Ruby commands just stopped working. And I was like, that's weird. Why is it complaining about some, like, flag? I'm not running Rails C. There's no flags being passed in here. And then I realized it was the environment variable. So... Yeah, I don't know. I'm I'm guessing that maybe the next patch version might fix it, but I'm I'm hoping it's not Rails 6.1 that we have to wait for, but maybe we do. I don't, I don't know. Do you guys know?
2: Uh, I've been watching the commits, and I know that they've been adding in fixes for that. I do not know when it's coming out because... In this
1: 2.0 or in Master?
2: They're in Master. I don't know if they backported them to 6 or not. I, hope I haven't. I don't. I haven't been paying that close attention, but I do know I have been watching commits roll in for fixing uh, issues with the two seven deprecations.
1: Cool. Well, yeah, I, it was driving me nuts. I mean, you open the Rails console and it's now like fifty lines of random stuff, and you're like, really? So, luckily, you know, most gems aren't doing it, but there's things, you know, built into Active Record or whatever that trigger it so it's like you can't run a Rails app without getting those warnings. Kind of kind of frustrating.
2: Yeah that's the one reason that we haven't really upgraded to 2.7 at CodeFont because Nate and I usually keep everything up to date. Like we try to keep the gems almost always up to date. We we always upgrade to the newest version of Rails. We've always upgraded to the newest um version of Webpacker. We've always kept up to date with Ruby but for 27 I, I was like, I don't think we should do this just because the amount of deprecation warnings is so aggravating, and there's nothing really in two seven we need right now, so we might as well just wait until either six point zero point three drops or six one, either or. But yeah, there's another thing in six one we really need, and I think we're gonna have to monkey patch it because of the changes to Chrome coming on February fourth. Oh, what's that? the same site cookie attribute for Chrome. Um, I don't know a ton about actually what it is. I guess that's probably something I should have figured out. But Chrome basically wants this cookie attribute called same site set and it needs to be set to none, I believe. And that was not possible until rack 2.1 dropped. And there's some commented out lines in Rails to disallow it until that rack version was released and now it is. so they there is a PR to um, add it to rails to like so that you can set that same site cookie attribute and but like that those changes take in effect on February 4th so I'm pretty sure Nate and I talked and we well I briefly considered Nate was like no don't do that. I briefly considered monkey patching action pack or just overriding it somehow to, like, fix it. Because it's literally one line. Mm -hmm. Nate was like, let's just make a middleware to do it. So I think that's what we're going to do.
1: Oh, yeah. I like that idea. Um, Do you know if that's something you can test uh, in, like, Chrome Canary builds or something before February?
2: I do not know. I just know if you go to... a lot of pages any pages that's accepting cookies really you're gonna likely see warnings about the same site stuff and it's it's kind of annoying because at Codefund, like we don't store the cookie like when we put an ad on someone's website we destroy the cookie immediately after their request um and we do some stuff around that so we don't save those cookies but if you look on a site that has our ads on it, you still get those errors in, or their warnings in the Chrome console about the same site attribute because they're not getting, it's not getting set. And it's like, this is so frustrating because we're not even, we don't even want or need the cookie. Like we delete the cookie and it expires like immediate or expires like in the past. So it's not even a valid cookie, but it still creates the warnings in the Chrome console. And some people have asked about that.
1: Uh, That's annoying. Uh And, you you reminded me of the um the rack two point one point one release did you guys have issues with that too because i I upgraded jumpstart pro to just update all the gems the other day and then I noticed on the website all of the avatars people had uploaded were missing and I was like that's kind of strange like they're all being uploaded to active storage so you look at the rails logs and then it's like there's some file related error. And I I start looking it up and it's like, you know, rack file and then trace it down to the new rack 2.1 version that got released that like changed something related to that. And then voila, all of active storage is broken for me. And then I open up Sidekick on another app and it's like, oh yeah, that's broken too. And then I look in the the issues on GitHub for Sidekick and Rack 2.1 was the culprit there as well, and I think 2.1.2 was out as of a couple of days ago or something that should fix all that stuff. But yeah, I like just upgraded those things, and you know, it wasn't stuff that I had uh, any test for or whatever. You know, I didn't expect uh It doesn't really matter if the Sidekick web interface goes down for me, like it's not a critical thing. But I. I was like, oh, that's kind of surprising. So, yeah, did you guys run into that as well?
2: Uh, We haven't. Now I'm freaking paranoid. Uh, No, we are on Rack 2.1, it looks like. No, I haven't seen that, and now I'm worried I just haven't seen it. But, no, I haven't seen anything. Yeah, yeah. We do active storage uploads. so.
1: Yeah, interesting. I I know I hit it at least twice with... Different apps, so yeah, I was like kind of surprised, and I assumed being Rack, like my assumption was that it's gonna get fixed really fast. So I just, I think I just forced an older version of of Rack to to fix that. The same kind of thing happened um, just the other day, actually, where my receipts gem for PDF receipts that I use in a bunch of things, and um, some some customer emailed me and was like hey, uh, just want to let you know that none of your fonts show up in PDFs on Windows 10 now. And I was like, that's strange. I haven't touched that gem in like nine months or more. Like, what happened? So I, uh, he mentioned it was Acrobat Reader they were using. And I opened up a Windows 10 VM. And sure enough, like there's a receipt for Hatchbox with only the Hatchbox logo and the rest of it's white and a couple black lines to separate a table. And I was like, Perfect. Oh, that looks exactly how I planned it. So, <laughs> yeah, I was At like... At least you got the logo. Right. So I looked up what's going on, and we just use Prawn for generating those PDFs. I figure, you know, maybe that is the issue or something. I don't know. And turns out the TTF, like, font library they have got upgraded recently and then broke stuff. Too so, I don't know. It's been a weird week of random gem dependencies that are, you know, several layers deep that you don't expect to be something you need to worry about, uh, just causing havoc. So, hopefully, that's that's over for a little while. It doesn't happen very often, and then to have a couple in the same week was was strange.
0: Yeah, I just don't upgrade things.
1: You got that Debian debian user mindset huh (laughs) yeah
0: no i uh yeah i haven't looked at any of the rack stuff but i did like the 27 and the rail 6 upgrades and it was i don't know i know they're just deprecation warnings and stuff but it was overwhelming for me i was like is stuff breaking i don't know so uh i did start a new app last night um and i I started to do it in Phoenix. I was so close. Uh, but I couldn't I couldn't commit. I just every time like I want to start something, I always like uh explore the land and then I just always know Rails so well. It's like what I say every time. I just know it like it's just easier to use. Mm-hmm. But yeah, yeah, I started a, a SMS application for churches last
1: night. Oh, that's cool. So what's
0: what's it gonna do? Uh so it's like gonna be a conversational tool. Uh so like I've built church software before, uh with like a co founder, and this is kind of like our next thing out of that. But uh essentially like it's just, you know, there's a lot of services I guess that you can just send out like text blasts, like email blasts, you know, like notifications, but uh-huh. Uh, This one will be, like, one, and this exists, like, this is anything new to the world, but it'll be, like, one that people can respond to, so, like, they can also just ask questions, like, by texting a number. So, we'll see how it goes. I've not written an SMS application before, so.
1: Oh, cool. Um, That really, really brought me back, because when I graduated school, my, like, second job was getting back into rails my first job was in pearl which i hated um but one of my friends that worked with me at the second job he had some app that i forget who his customers were but yeah he had one of those like basically an sms mailing list of sorts and i remember helping him out on that it was kind of fun i think we used twilio way back when, but that would have been 2011 or 2012 or something. It's a long time ago. I haven't really built too much SMS stuff since. Are you using Twilio for yours? Uh, I looked at Twilio.
0: I'm probably going to use Nexmo. Oh, yeah? Um,
1: it's, I don't know much of that.
0: It's a hair cheaper than Twilio. Um, Laravel uses it for... Uh, they're like, they have a notification concept built into Laravel. And by default, I think it uses like the Nexmo library for SMS notifications. Uh, so I was like, well, if they use it. Obviously I trust it. And so, um,
1: interesting. Um, that's, that's another thing that like action text being built into rails is nice. And I know we've complained about, like, why don't we just have an official authentication library? I feel like an official notification library would be awesome as well. You know, like, a a way to, like, opt in and out of email or SMS or whatever. And, I don't know, some rendering pipeline for that. I think that would be awesome.
0: Yeah, it's really cool. I also considered using Laravel for it. I always just come back to not only do I know Rails, but like I know how to debug Rails, and I'm like kind of nervous to like build a system and then something go wrong. Uh, I know that's like how you learn, but
1: you don't write code perfect the first time.
0: Oh, that's weird. Uh, maybe now that, that I'm on medicine. Oh uh, yeah, that, that'll that'll fix
2: it
1: for you. I promise. No, no more bugs. <laughs> Bug free. This is the nice magic I have with screencasting. I don't have to write bugs. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. <laughs> um, but yeah. yeah, It's cool. That's pretty fun. So what? how long do you think it's going to take you to build your first prototype of it? Or are you already kind of like done with the core stuff you were planning?
0: Uh, so I just started last night and I really should like, create a template or like just use jumpstart. Cause I go through a lot of the same, like hoopla each time. So I spent most of the last night just like bootstrapping the app, you know, getting a uh, devise in and factory bot, things like that and kind of turning off generators. And really I should just push that into a template, but um, I don't know, hoping to get to work on it. Some this weekend I'd like to, so my goal is that I'd like to build a really crappy prototype and then show some people and get them to tell us what they think. And my goal is to like not put a lot of design uh, in terms of like UI into it right now and also try to not get too attached to features and then work with people and let them kind of tell us what they think. And that way it's easy to throw away or it's easy to keep kind of thing. So
1: I like it.
0: That's what I'd like to do. We'll see how well that goes.
1: Yeah. Are you going to make it intentionally crappy? <laughs> uh, You're just like, I mean, I could, allow sure. text, but I choose not to. <laughs> I
0: mean, I might throw like a bootstrap on it um, just to get through some of the prototyping. As we talked about, like, I, I don't know. I may keep bootstrap. It just depends. Like I use a bootstrap theme on one of my other apps and it, it's not perfect, but not having to make those little design decisions is pretty nice. Cause I'm not a very good designer.
1: I hear you. That's the one major complaint. I think most people have with tailwind and then I don't know, hopefully tailwind UI will solve that problem.
0: That. And, uh, I saw today. So there's once I feel like I'll, we might as well just call this like remote layer though. Uh, uh there's a tool called Laravel shift I've heard of and it. yeah, it automatically upgrades your Laravel apps in a, like and it creates a PR for you. It's really cool. Like you can go from like version four all the way up to like version six. Wow. And, yeah. It's super cool.
1: Is it making uh, assumptions of like, will enable compatibility for older versions or is it, you know, I'm trying to think of in a Rails context, like how you would do that from like, here's a Rails 2.3 app. Let's make one PR for upgrading all the way to six. I feel like you would almost be forced into like, you know, the optional is true or for belongs to associations. Like, wouldn't you have to turn that off or something? Or just, I guess, edit a bunch of stuff? I don't
0: know. Sounds I don't like- know either. I know it. It may not be straight four to six. Like you may have to do the incrementals, like oh, okay, yeah, like four no. to five, five, five one to five, three. I'm not really too sure on that, but it's cheap. It's like twelve between like six and twenty bucks per shift.
1: Awesome! Wow.
0: Yeah. So, uh, the person who made that named Jason McCreary and has a video out, I guess today or yesterday. Of shifting from
1: bootstrap to tailwind. Whoa. So you can actually just like, here's my code and it just rewrites it for you. Yeah. So
0: he ran it on the Laravel shift website, which is in bootstrap three and it converted over to tailwind. And so like some things are off a little bit and he says that's intentional because he defaults to tailwinds like base styles uh, but it's it's pretty dang close, and it leaves, uh, like you still see like call small for and stuff, and he's like, why do you think? Like you're probably wondering why we left those, and he's like, that's because Bootstrap interactivity requires that. So like he like clicks a modal and it appears. Uh, so I guess it's using like Bootstrap JavaScript, but with Tailwind.
1: Oh, I see. Wow, that's really slick, huh?
0: It's really cool.
1: I was just fiddling with some of the styles on GoRails this week, and oh man, every moment of that where I'm like tweaking uh, the layout for the episodes and their thumbnail and stuff, the whole entire time I was sitting there like, man, I just wish I wish I just wish I had Tailwind installed, and I don't really want to have both Tailwind and Bootstrap there together. It's just too much, but every second of that process, I was like, man, if there was an easy way to convert this bootstrap stuff over to Tailwind, I would use it. Sounds like like there is, and that seems like something that's totally generic, like not a Laravel specific thing either. So that sounds awesome.
0: Yeah, this tool is independent of that, and uh, I don't think it's out yet. But it's really cool.
1: Um, oh, man, you're going to have me wasting my weekend converting from Bootstrap over to Tailwind.
2: <laughs> I think they said they released a
1: beta, maybe?
2: I don't know. He said something about pushing something to GitHub on it at the end of that video.
1: I love that Yeah, That sounds like like it wouldn't be, I feel like converting from Bootstrap to to Tailwind is probably not terrible if you're writing that tool because yeah, you got to deal with things like cards or whatever, but instead of like card and card body, you already kind of know and you can look at Bootstrap and see exactly what those implement, whether it's padding or border or shadows or whatever. Then just, like, replace it with a few extra classes from Tailwind. So, like, replace one with maybe four or five classes, and voila, you're, like, kind of done, which is pretty slick.
0: Yeah, it's really cool. I'm reading through the Twitter comments of this. It's uh, it's like, I've got a Rails app. Uh, is it compatible? And they're like, and Jason says, if your goal is to make styles Tailwind, absolutely. It's optimized for Laravel, but will support, any in quotations web app uh, within a week hmm. and then someone else said i've got a foundation site i'd love to switch over and they said we'll optimize for foundation the final launch
1: so. Nice, dang that's cool now we can start asking for those esoteric like frameworks and convert it over oh no. i wonder though like i wonder if you could just like Build something completely generic where you're like, well, yeah, let's download the style sheets for like GitHub and convert it over to Tailwind. I bet it's like really hard, but probably possible. You would just have to like, you know, look for here's hover classes on this button. Let's or in their CSS, then let's put it in the HTML instead of in the CSS. Like, I bet you something like that would be possible eventually. That would be sick, man. I don't need another. Yes. I'll let him deal, deal with all that.
0: So I, I kind of like went way off base there, but yeah. Um, it's so easy to spin up a rails app. Uh, and I, I've got it kind of where I want. I'm using, I don't, I've come to the point where I don't really have like a bone in the fight. in the R spec mini test debate anymore. Um, but, I went with mini test using factory bot instead of fixtures, and so far I've been pretty happy with it. It's I don't know, it just works.
2: Yeah, I wrote tests on a side project. What,
0: dude? <laughs> I not only wrote tests, I TDD'd.
2: Ah, uh, is this what a senior developer
0: is? Is it? Am I in in no. the presence of someone great? <laughs> no. No, that when I like pair with people at work and I do TDD, they're like, "Are you okay?" Because like it's not the thing I do first usually. But
1: Jason, when you start, you know, getting into teaching your kids math and stuff, you're gonna be like, you know, well, before we start to figure out what you know x plus y is, we have to remember we got to write a test first. <laughs> we need to check for, you know, the result is ten, so we're looking for that, and we got to then go write her math formula to see if the results, right?
0: Yes. Assert 10, assert yeah. equal 10.
1: Yeah. So they're you know, the, the teacher will be like, you know, make sure you show her your work on your exam. And they're like writing mini tests. <laughs> <instead. laughs> the teacher's like, what is this nonsense? <laughs>
0: it, Class extra. math test extends.
2: That sounds like extra credit to me. <laughs>
0: I like it. I think we've talked about this before. I had to write out Java code in my CS exams. I did too. Yeah,
1: I think that we was. had a little bit of that too. Yeah. I loved it. Yeah, it was I, my favorite. I, I do that every day now. I write my code out on paper first.
0: I, I lost 10 points because I forgot a semicolon.
1: 10 points? Oh, boy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I
0: mean, a compiler wouldn't have caught that.
1: Yeah. it's like, me. Yeah, like... Oh, the compiler wouldn't have told me, and I would have just added it and been done. I'm like, oh, big deal. You know that was more important back in the punch card days. You know, you'd have to resort through all your punch cards and everything. So, it's important, dude.
2: <laughs> yeah. Well, all right. I this. I'm. This isn't. This is a joke. I'm gonna qualify. This as a joke. But. The punch card days are usually where the teachers who are making you write Java code on paper are coming from. So,
0: <laughs> yeah, for real. Is a punch card a monolith? Mm. Uh, I don't know. Well, Maybe. it's a bunch
1: of parts. It's a bunch of Maybe you staple it together. So
0: or is it the
1: first microservice? Yeah, I wonder. There's a bunch of them. They're all separate, right? But mm. is it a majestic microservice?
0: It is. Good man. Um, other than that, did some Stripe stuff, of course, because I should just like apply at Stripe.
1: Yeah, I, you, you work, you technically work for Stripe, but you like only like implement their API for one other customer. <laughs> yeah. Company. I'm basically
0: just like a Stripe contractor yeah, uh, right. with with benefits. <laughs> yeah. I know we're. We're exploring some stuff internally, like for our actual Podia subscriptions, like making some upgrades to match like modern Stripe subscriptions and my head is exploding. So like, you know, plan, I guess like when I assume when subscriptions and Stripe came out, like you could just have one plan assume that multiple plans came later.
1: Yeah, I believe so. Um,
0: and so we use single plan like, so, you know, like stripe subscription dot plan. But if you like were to ever add multiple plan becomes a nil. And so like, yeah, that, that could very easily just one day just bite us. So working on upgrading some of that and it's been, yeah, it's-, it's better than CA,
1: Uh, what's a little I guess on that like upgrade there is like if you ever accidentally forgot to pluralize it then like your code's still going to run it's just going to return nil at random and it's like not a you're not going to get a compiler error from that right like that's going to be just a something returned nil and it shouldn't have and good luck finding it those are kind of the worst I wonder it almost feels like something you should be able to configure in their gem that's like their own exception if we're doing stuff in an old way for hmm. you know certain versions or something but they I don't know how they do it, but they're they're always releasing new versions of that stripe gem and like you know it's never there's never anything you have to worry about you can always use the latest version of that gem and the API version that you're connecting with is like all it really needs to know and it gets that from the api request anyways cuz it's right. attached to your api keys and it's like the the ease of using that gem is just incredible except for situations like that where you're like no please please like you know explode when i do something old like i don't want to do that but it's kind of probably counterintuitive to how they implemented the gem a little bit just because it's like, we're trying to always smooth things over. So the upgrades are easier or whatever, but that might be a case where you're like, please make it harder a little bit. (laughs) Yeah. Because now like to get the plan,
0: we have to go to like Stripe subscription dot items. And like, you could just say dot first. Right. But what happens if you do end up adding multiple plans one day? So like, well, you need to actually like filter the items and look for the item that has the matching plan ID. Right. Yeah. it's not like it's impossible. It's just reaching for dot plan is much easier. And I'm all about the easy life.
1: Yeah. And it's not something you can easily add like, uh, you know, so, some sort of internal method. And you could monkey patch it and add your own method of like plan, but it takes a plan ID instead, um, you know. But you don't really want to do that, especially because that might be something they do in the future in the gem or whatever. And so now your your code ends up just having to like filter through the plans and search for the right one and and do a find with a block or something. And it's just yeah, it it makes it just that much more kind of less of a no-brainer when you're integrating with their API, which is like what we've complained about so many times with SCA. It's like just not intuitive anymore because you have to think about those little nuances constantly. I
0: I often wonder though, like could Stripe have done that any better given the requirements they were given?
1: I don't think so. I mean, they've done such a darn good job with the APIs, before that, that I think this is as best as they could have done. They were also under a pretty short timeline. And the only complaint I really have is their documentation for it is not very clear on the concepts. They're like, here's a million different ways your business could work. And setup intents versus payment intents and things are just not as kind of clear conceptually as I think they could be explained. And that was my frustration with it, like wrapping my head around, like, what am I supposed to do here versus like, you know, reading all the stuff, all the like API docs was pretty straightforward. It was just like, right. I don't know when I'm supposed to use a setup intent versus a payment intent. Like what if I want to do a subscription today with a five day free trial and you know, collect a credit card up front versus tomorrow. I want to do it with no like trial and charge them immediately. I didn't know that you had to do a separate process for that. Like one with a setup intent, one with a payment intent. It wasn't very clear to figure out that kind of thing. Um, But the rest of it, I thought was done really well. So they're, they're, they're well with what they were, the cards they were dealt, I guess.
0: Totally. They're, their API docs are phenomenal. It's the other docs that are tough. Um, yeah. Where they like kind of conceptually talk about things. Agreed. That's where like, yeah, it just kind of, it's it's difficult to follow. And sometimes it feels like you get conflicting information.
1: Yeah. Especially but. when they'll sometimes reference non-SEA uh, guides or something. Like I don't think intentionally, but then Probably half of the confusion I had at the beginning was, okay, uh, you still support all of the old stuff because it's not required to support SEA. And they know how much more complicated things are with SEA. So they're like, we're going to keep supporting sources and all of the old style. And then we're going to have this other section that's going to be, you know, the new style, but it's not going to be very separated in our docs all kind of there next to each other and like you have to figure it out I was like what is happening it took a long time to wrap my head around
0: yeah I've looked at a couple of other services not payment services just like like Nexmo and uh, Twilio at their API docs and they're like they're decent but I've been like spoiled with Stripe because it tells you like exactly like here's all the JSON that you could get back and here's a description of what Everything does. And here's your API keys in it and some test data.
1: Yeah, yeah. Steve and I were working on um, managed databases for Hatchbox um, so that you could just create a DigitalOcean or RDS managed database inside Hatchbox automatically. And uh, we were, well, the the gem for DigitalOcean was pretty up-to-date, except they didn't have any. API uh, wrappers for any of the managed databases, so we forked it and started to like work on our own version and implement what we needed. But we also asked them about it, and it was really nice to just see like you know they have a, a JSON file in their examples and their tests that we could just copy paste from their docs page, put it in there, and it, everything worked just fine. And then. They eventually released the, like, full support for all of that. And one of the bugs we found was, like, you know, they have uh, special little handlers depending on the status code it gets back. And, you know, there was, like, a, one of those, like, if it's a 202, uh, parse the JSON and return this. And then it didn't handle, like, a 201. And so that little typo took us a long time to figure out. But I was, like, reading through the docs. And they're, like, very similar to Stripe's API reference. And I just happened to, like, like that 201 is not a 202. I wonder if that's what we've spent the last four hours trying to figure out why this isn't working. Sure enough, it was. Those are interesting moments. But, what docs have come a long ways in the last five to ten years, I feel like. I had to
0: work on some Spark post stuff. And they have an entire, like, package you can download into Postman. And, like, I'm looking for a couple of new, like, attributes on a webhook. And I can just, like, run, like, the webhook I want in this package. It's like a click event webhook. And I can just see all the attributes. It's really cool. It's, like, a little bit different style of documentation in a way. But it was really convenient.
1: Huh. They'll have to link to that. That'd be interesting to see.
0: If I can find it, Jamie, our CTO sent it to me. Cause he is the know all. Also, I've been meaning to do something for the past couple of weeks. And that is, I just want to, to the three people that listen to the show, shout out my coworker, Basil, who has been a saint working with me on sequel stuff. So I have no clapping or anything like that to play, but shout out Basil. There you go. There you go.
1: And yeah, that's good. Yeah, SQL stuff can be real frustrating, especially because like you can get into this like this thing with Active Record where you like you have an intuition with how SQL works, but you're not really writing SQL every day, so you like don't have to worry about the difference between an inner join and a left join and all that stuff and. It just works because your associations are defined correctly. And like, there's a lot of people, including myself, who, you know, you get into some advanced stuff and you're like, "Uh, you know, it's really hard to like track this down in active record. I got to write SQL directly. and I haven't done that in a long time. And I got to go read all the docs again and try and like, I can intuit what I need to do, but to actually figure out how to convert that to... The actual query you need to write can be a little, a little daunting sometimes.
2: You're talking about me, like I'm not right here.
1: <laughs> what's What's funny that reminded me of uh, my first job interview was they asked me to like write little, d- design a database, and I never had a database class, and the only stuff I knew was from Rails and Django, like. Well, I knew if I wanted to build this in Rails, I'd have to create migrations to create a table and have these columns to do associations. And I was, like, so not confident when they were asking me, like, you know, we want to store this. Oh, well, you know, the boss now asked you to change it to add support for this now. What do you do? And I was like, well, I guess I'd change this and whatever if I was going to do it in Rails. But I, I don't know. and they were like, at the end of that, they were like, you, like, you finished that way too easily. Like, everyone else has struggled with that. And I was like, I don't even know what I'm talking about. Like, Rails, I guess, has taught me it, like, at a high level, but I don't know how to write all that sequel yet, still. It was a strange moment. But, you know, it's hard to then step back and, like, teach yourself sequel or, like, find time to just grab a book or whatever. Like, Andrew, are you seeking out, trying to, like, spend more time just learning SQL directly, or is it not even worth doing right now until you need it for some I year?
2: feel personally attacked by that. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I, have, I have a SQL book sitting on my desk. I have under your mom. in my opinion the world's greatest SQL expert sitting on the other end of Slack from me. Shout out Nate. Um, And I have the internet. So when I need it, I have those three things. And when all else fails, I have the rails logs. What sequel book did you
0: get? I
2: literally just, I have this bad habit of walking into bookstores, coming out with like a hundred dollars worth of books and never reading a single one of them. I have Uh, that same problem, but it's just online.
0: Yeah. Uh,
2: Well, mine, it's called the sequel pocket guide and it's got uh, it's just a small, like, 100, 200-page book with uh, basic stuff in it, but it shows you how to do it in each of the the main, like, like MySQL, Oracle, Postgres, SQL Server, DB2, et
1: cetera. MongoDB?
2: <laughs> no, there's no MongoDB <laughs> here. Also, real quick, quick interjection. Jason, did you just release last week's episode during this episode? Because that's pretty
0: new. Yeah. Yep. And uh, I scheduled it to go out right before we started this one. It went out at 3 and it's 303. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, I'm here to party.
1: We're so productive, right?
0: <laughs> uh, this one will go out Monday and then we'll catch back up. Uh, I
1: was going to say, I
0: recently purchased a book uh, on the advice of my coworker, Andrew Famera. Uh, who's much better, by the way, and I'm glad for that. Um, he had a little hospital stint. Yeah. Uh, the Art of PostgreSQL. And then I have another book sitting next to it called The Art of Sequel, which were both like high, highly recommended to me. So. Hmm. I'll have to pick those up. Then they that can sit with the rest of the books I won't read. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking at Eloquent Ruby, which is one I've actually read. Uh, Art of Sequel, which is one I started. Never... Art of PostgreSQL, which I just started. Hope I finish it. Probably not. Uh, Designing data-intensive applications, programming Elixir, SQL anti-patterns, rediscovering JavaScript. That was actually a good one. Um, Rails 5 test patterns, Hooter. And then I get into some obscure stuff. The Little Schemer, which is a book on scheme, obviously. And... uh, this other book that's like from the late seventies, I can't see the name of it, but it's like supposed to be like one of the founding fathers books of computer science. So, oh, that's and out of all of those I've not finished, but one. So
1: <laughs> I just imagine you in like a really dark wood library, just full of Laravel books around you.
0: It's, it's so absurd that I know so much about, a framework that I do not write.
1: It's good to know though. Like we've talked about that in the past, like knowing what other people, how other people are approaching problems just like teaches you other options, which you might be able to pull off the shelf and use at some unexpected time. So it's good to know. That's the thing. Don't, don't feel like you're betraying Ruby or anything.
0: It's good to know. It's nice because it's so like, it's a really fast feedback loop because it's just like it's PHP. And so, like, using Laravel Valet runs uh, Nginx or Apache, I think it's Nginx, like behind the scenes. And so, literally, you just like say Valet link and then your project name. And so, if I was like, uh, like, this thing I'm working on is called Church Chat, I'd be like Valet link Church Chat, and then I'd have Church Chat.dev. Automatically wired up for me, and then like I don't have to restart a server, or anything, or worry about like Spring. Like I just make changes and reload. It's awesome.
1: Yeah, I was going to make a joke about Spring caching stuff and being frustrated for a half an hour. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. So, does anyone still use like the Pow or whatever that that was that little web server thing that would link .dev domains or whatever? Or Puma dev, I think was another option. And I tried that last I remember there was some like SSL thing I couldn't get to work right on my Mac. I'm still like surprised you guys
2: are using Spring. Yeah, Uh, not Sprung. I I don't Spring. I disable Spring in my environment. I delete the gem every time I create a new app. It doesn't help. It creates problems. I hate it. Boot snap fixed it.
0: I'll leave it in sometimes. Like I left it in this project and then I'm just waiting. Like I know at some point it'll be time to get it, but it's not there yet. So I
1: feel like Zite has resolved some of those issues for me with spring. Like, I feel like it's better at reloading things. Um, so maybe that, I don't even know if that is a thing that it improved or not, but I have felt like it's been easier since I but. I don't know, maybe not. Well,
2: as as the junior programmer here, the one with the least experience, my advice to every programmer out there, regardless of experience, is get rid of Spring. Please. (laughs) I don't know what... Does it even have a benefit now that we have BootSnap? Because I read some tweet that said it didn't, and it always causes me pain and suffering, and then I get really angry, and then I vow to never use it again. And then I just... I delete it. I put it in a... Something in my CSH file that disables it everywhere.
1: Yeah, it's a good question. I don't know if the benefit of it is near as much with Bootsnap. That's uh interesting. May I have to look that I, up and see.
0: I'm sure it provides some benefit because otherwise they wouldn't have left it in. I would think, but I don't.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I don't
0: right. know what the difference is. With me.
1: Yeah, it's a good question.
2: Hashtag delete spring.
1: Let's get it. trending.
2: You were feisty about the spring. Oh, dude, I, there was a, there was a time, there was a day I lost. I don't want to talk about it. It still hurts.
1: This is the like modern dash dash skip turbo links, isn't it?
2: <laughs> yes. Yeah. is pretty, pretty, pretty fetch until you run into like an issue with bootstrap and then you get angry. And then you vow to delete bootstrap.
1: <laughs> Are you keeping you're keeping bootstrap over turbolinks, huh? Oh
2: or no, no, no.
1: Over turbo links.
2: <laughs> I I hack together boot. I hack together things in our application JS fire, index.js, whichever one it is at the time, to get around TurboLinks issues with Bootstrap. And then I go complain to Nate about how much I hate Bootstrap. Hate's hey, a strong word. I like Bootstrap and I like the things it provides. I don't want to use Bootstrap on CodeFund specifically.
1: Yeah, I hear you. And anything, the more you design it custom, the like less valuable Bootstrap becomes. It's just really, really fast for prototyping stuff. Can not yes. explain about
2: that? No, you definitely cannot. And I 100% agree with that. But when you are putting like a custom theme with its own gigantic spaghetti mess of custom JavaScript on top of the already issues there exists with like just basic bootstrap JavaScript turbo links. It's just you're in for a bad day, a bad couple days, maybe, maybe even a bad week. I don't want to confess anything. My employer might be listening, but (laughs) you're in for a really frustrating amount of time to figure that out and to figure out the exact combination of like skip or before cache after load combinations and the correct like bootstrap Man. tool t- like tooltip like things you have to do to like get it to render and then when you hit back on the uh, back button of the browser and then all of a sudden you have two items like two double list items or like you still have things open that should be closed it's just yeah it's so frustrating and I'm very 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 frustrated by this because this has been an ongoing issue.
1: Yeah, I think um I think that was probably the the biggest downfall on TurboLinks's launch was like the documentation around the the conceptual change you have to have to use it cuz like we wrote uh the view TurboLinks library that is kind of used all over now. Um and it went through quite a few iterations, but there's still like people confused on it all the time where it's like, look, if you wanna use anything with TurboLinks, you need to make sure that it sets up on Turbo Links load. That's fine. Everyone understands that like fairly quickly because they know that like, well, when the page loads, we just listen to this instead of DOM content ready. However, like you have to also be aware that you're not leaving stuff behind when you cache the page. Because Turbolinks' cache will like not mount your stuff the second time if you replace the DOM element you were looking for and it got removed when the first thing ran. So there's all kinds of like you know problems if you don't tear down the JavaScript library properly because sometimes they edit the Dom that you just mounted to or whatever. And voila, yeah, you know, it works the first time, but not on the back button. And yeah, there was some guy I helped recently. He was like, I think there's a bug in future links. And it's like, well, it's been around for quite, quite a few months, years now even or whatever. And it's like, yeah, you know, this library you happen to use in Vue." sets something up and caches it in the plugin internally and you didn't call teardown. So nothing is gonna work the second time around until you set up a teardown. And that concept like was a big mindset shift for people, I think, because you didn't really have to understand JavaScript very well before single page apps. That made things life a lot more complicated.
2: Yeah. My my buddy Julian has a uh, library called Attractor, which has like plugins for Ruby and JavaScript, which helps you show code churn and complexity and things like that. But I I put it, plugged it into CodeFun just to see what it would do. And it showed me that there's been a lot of churn around some certain JavaScript files where I've been having to monkey around and fix Turbolinks-related issues over the past month during our redesign process. But think I found everything and then I think there actually is one issue that I saw and it was like late in the day and I was just so frustrated and I just stared at it for a little while and I was like you know until someone finds this I'm gonna pretend I didn't see it
1: (laughs) that's how I like to maintain my code bases too
2: it was just such like a fringe case and like I was just like, uh, turbo links. Why? I think I might've actually fixed it like the following day, but that night when I saw it, I was just like, so frustrated by it.
1: Yeah. I think we've all been there. Well, I think that wraps up our episode this week. Huh? Yeah. been
2: another episode of Andrew rants.
1: Yeah. I was just venting for an hour.
0: <laughs> I, kind of, I don't know. It's kind of nice. Uh, I feel like this is pretty normal, real conversation. I enjoy it. It's uh, free therapy
1: for software developers. Remote Ruby therapy.
0: Yeah. Well, cool. Well, thanks for chatting with me, fellas, and thanks for listening, if you're listening, and we'll do this again next week.
2: All right. See ya. 100%. See ya.